Let's see what it takes to get more people engaged in this industry and to benefit from this industry. That goes always, but you have to think differently than just imagining Wall Street, investment banks, you know, huge private equity firms, stuff like that. Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Bobby Franklin, who's the President and CEO of NVCA, the National Venture Capital Association, and the Board Chair of Venture Forward. We talk about all things policy and venture capital in this episode. Let's dive in. Bobby, welcome to the show. <laughs> Justin, thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. Yes, for the very first time. <laughs> and for those who are not familiar with MVCA, <laughs> what do you guys focus on there? So NVCA is a trade association located in Washington. We'll celebrate our 50th anniversary next year. And I describe us as lobbyists for the entrepreneurial ecosystem. So what do I mean by that? Venture capitalists and their firms are our members of the trade association, but our public policy agenda is all about helping entrepreneurs and you know help them on public policy issues at the federal level, whether it's at the Securities and Exchange Commission or on Capitol Hill or at some of the agencies, to make sure that we have the best environment we can for entrepreneurs to start and grow their company here in the United States. With all your focus on policy, and that's what you spend all your time on, Take us through what you're seeing today in terms of any recent uh, policy updates, policy changes, things that you've seen in the ecosystem regarding founders as well as VCs. Well, there have been a lot of developments over the last couple of years that impact not only the investors, but obviously the, the entrepreneurs and the portfolio companies. The first one came at the beginning of the Biden administration when the SSBCI, which stands for State Small Business Credit Initiative, was reinvigorated. This is something that originally happened in the Obama administration, but they put $10 billion in SSBCI. And so now states who had to submit plans to the Department of Treasury are getting approved in those plans. And many of those plans will be to support and help or maybe invest alongside or kind of matching funds for the entrepreneurial activity going on all across the country and all the states. So I think that's significant, and we have a whole resource page at nvca.org on SSBCI. But more recently, when you look at the bipartisan infrastructure package, when you look at the Inflation Reduction Act, which just passed, and then right before that, when you look at the Chips and Science Act, which passed, all of these have tremendous resources. I mean, this is a once-in-a-generation investment by the federal government for a variety of reasons, whether it's climate or whether it's competition with China, there are a lot of reasons mixed in here over these different pieces of legislation, but there are significant opportunities for entrepreneurs and their investors to take advantage and to be able to take steps to solve the biggest problems facing our country and our world. With this as well, so hearing about that, okay, so the average person, we hear about these different policies, legislation, and sometimes it's hard to understand the actual impact on us and how we can take advantage of that, how it matters. Take us through how this this matters in terms of some of the things you mentioned for founders, for investors, what it means, what it could mean, because oftentimes, as you mentioned, like before we've talked, uh, it takes a lot of time for this to be implemented. What is What are these some these recent changes and updates and things coming, like, what do they actually mean for founders and investors? Well, uh, it's 
frankly, all over the board and, and our team is busy right now, frankly, trying to map it out to, yeah, to of help course. <laughs> demystify it for people like you're suggesting. That's Definitely. absolutely the right question to ask. It's just, it's going to be hard to answer and it's going to take a little bit of time, That's but fair. there are going to be a lot of programs that are designed for specific purposes, right? So in the, in the look at the chips and science act, the original name for that legislation was the endless frontier act. And there were a bipartisan group of folks on both the House and Senate side that said, we need a generational investment in basic research. The U.S. government used to do a lot more basic research decades ago. Yeah, It's waned in terms of percentage of G- GDP. And so let's, let's take another look at that and let's make a generational push to put money in there. Now, that went in different forms. And at the end of the day, when it finally made it across the goal line, it had provisions around uh, chips. And we know the challenges that we as a country and indeed the world face with the lack of chips, the shortage yep. and supply chain issues and everything else. But it also has technology centers. It also has programs focused on AI. It has programs focused in different areas of the country. And so there are going to be a number of programs that entrepreneurs and their investors will be able to take advantage of to help de-risk, to help leverage government funding, to help work with NSF and a new directorate that the National Science Foundation is standing up. I mean, there's just a lot that (laughs) got approved and now it needs to be implemented. And I think the opportunities are going to be amazing and they're going to start rolling out over the next months and years. And we just want to make sure that the industry is ready for it. And we want to make sure that we do our job as the government is implementing these laws to make sure it goes to the right place. And in our mind, that's the entrepreneurs. How do they, whether it be entrepreneurs, whether it be investor side of things, keep tabs on this, uh, make sure you're not missing out on opportunities. Like a lot of times there's, there's initiatives and programs out there that people like, I'm so always surprised. I like to be on Twitter and someone just discovers something else. It's like, I had no idea that existed. Like that's, crazy to me. I get it because there's so many things, but what's the best way for people to keep tabs on that? Like follow along with what NVCA is doing that kind of spread the word about what's, what there is in terms of opportunity. What's the best way for that? Well, if you're a manager, if you're a VC, then the best way is to be a member of NVCA and you get a lot of members only programming, get a lot of members only communications. We send stuff out on a weekly basis. Uh, some, some weeks it's a daily basis, but we're sending a lot of information out. We're hosting webinars. We're calling on the government leaders that are in charge of running these programs to come on and explain directly to folks and to help demystify areas that they may be interested in. So I, I would say we are a wonderful hub for that sort of thing on our website, nvca.org has a bunch of resources, and we're going to continue to put things up there. One thing too, with this policy, I mentioned the lobbying side of it as well. And one thing I'm curious about right away is how do you decide which things to tackle? Because there's a, a number of issues always. And I also, from talking to like Gail at Vitalize, you know, there's things we want in terms of like accreditation laws to change. It's like, how do we even start to make those changes? And also how do you focus on your efforts of which things matter the most? I'm curious about just like unveiling more of the process behind that. Sure. That's yeah, a great question. We get a lot. At the end of the day, we rely on our board of directors and our members to help us understand what's most important to them. 
I do, though, have to have this conversation. It seems like every year we get new board members where they say, okay, I want you. I feel like I'm one of their portfolio companies and they're saying, okay, you need to focus on three things and do three things really well before you go to numbers four through six. And I always have yep. to remind them that that's great, but we don't get to dictate the agenda here in Washington, DC. Yep. We have to react to it. Most of the time, there are times when we, we certainly play offense and can push an agenda along, but certain stars have to be in alignment for that. Uh, some things are better to be able to push under Republican control and some things are better under Democrat control. So we, yep. we kind of have to react. We play offense and defense and, and we know when to, when to do which, but uh, that that's kind of how just in conjunction with our members and our board, identifying the things that are important to the ecosystem and then looking for opportunities or watching out for some challenges here in DC. With that too. So you mentioned some of the things that already kind of have Done, been, been done recently and the kind of initiatives that have been created with SSBCI, for instance. But with that ranking you mentioned, like there's always so many priorities. Like, what are some of those? Just to give us a little bit better idea, like what you're focused on, what you're trying to move through the next, whether it be months, years, et cetera. I know these things take time, but what are some of those things just so people have an understanding of that as well? Well, uh, again, a lot of times you just have to, we, we have a, a long list of policy issues that we care about, but we know some of them are not going to be able to be moved right now. Sure. For example, in the Securities and Exchange Commission, we're on defense right now. They have a number of rulemakings that they have put forward to greatly impact and regulate, in my opinion, in a very negative way, private funds. And it's as if they're trying to treat private funds the same way they would treat public funds. And my yeah. answer is there's a difference. There's a public market and a private market, and there's pros and cons to both. But let's not force people to, to sort of make decisions that may not be in the best interest of the fund or the firm. And therefore, I would argue, may not be in the best interest of the entrepreneurial ecosystem or the country in competition with other countries. So we're in a lot of dialogue around uh, defending the industry against some of the changes that the Securities and Exchange Commission is proposing. I say that as an example, A, because it's a hot topic, but also because B, to answer your question, we do and have had for the last number of years uh, an item that we would like to get the SEC to do, which is to update and modernize the definition of a venture capital fund. Hmm. Now, I say it like that because there's no way we're going to get this SEC to do what we're asking. We're going to have to get Congress to force it because we're playing defense on other issues. But uh, th this is a great example for venture funds. So in the last several years, obviously, there have been more secondaries taken and not just direct investments. Well, that doesn't count in the definition to be an exempt registered advisor as opposed to a registered investment advisor. And so if you take secondaries, that fills up your non-qualifying bucket, and you can only have 20% of your fund in that non-qualifying bucket, or you have to become registered investment advisor. The other areas are you can't be a fund of funds. You can't help support the creation of a more diverse venture <laughs> industry and help others because those investments would be non-qualifying. And you can't take positions in cryptocurrencies and other things. And we make the argument that that's exactly who you should want to experiment with blockchain technologies and cryptocurrencies and things like that. So we would like the SEC to update 
the definition of who can be an exempt reporting advisor and not have to go through the massive expense to become a registered investment advisor. And I'll, I will say this as a lobbyist for <laughs> no good public policy reason. Some yeah. small venture firm becoming a registered investment advisor does not impact the public markets, does not impact Aunt Minnie, who we're worried about as an investor. This is all accredited investors, sophisticated folks. And, and also they don't have the size to materially impact some big catastrophe that the SEC is trying to protect us against. With that, and to that point, and hearing that uh, passion you have around that, dive a little bit deeper into that. What do you, what would that unlock in terms of some of those things you're trying to get done? Because obviously there's so many different issues we're talking about here and you have to prioritize, but that in particular, uh, what's definition of a venture fund in terms of even like other rules around number of investors into a venture fund. We've seen some of that, how that could change things. Like where's, what are some of the possibilities that this could unlock or what would you want to see done? I know it's kind of almost playing in the clouds here because a lot of these things could take forever, but I'm just kind of knowing like from your perspective, what do you want to see? I want to see more people that are able to focus on making investments and supporting entrepreneurs and not spending millions of dollars a year in some sort of compliance for no good public policy reason. That's what I'm trying to do. And when the definition of a venture fund was first created years and years ago, it made sense, but the world changes. Crypto, blockchain, supporting other new emerging managers and certainly taking secondaries because the public markets uh, right now are not that inviting. They have been the last couple of years. We've set records with some public offerings, but in the years leading up to that, they weren't. So how can we make it easier for investors to do what they should be focused on? And that is raising a fund, working for their limited partners, by investing in entrepreneurs who are changing the world. We have a long way to go. Such a long way to go. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have so many questions I could ask you around how you even stay sane amongst all this when you're trying to push things through that take so much time. But one thing I want to make sure we cover is diversity, diversity in the industry. How do we increase that? I know there's an initiative with Venture Forward. Tell us more about that program and how that's kind of working to uh, diversify the industry a bit more. Well, thanks for asking. So when I started nine years ago, it became clear to me that um, I was joining an industry for the first time. And as I sort of learned about that industry, I realized how homogeneous it is. And a lot of people had been talking about it and people on my board were asking, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> and, and so, you know, the first thing is you got to make it a priority, right? And so we really started focusing on what can we do to help change within the industry. There are change agents outside the industry. There are change agents inside the industry. What can we do to play our part in making sure the industry becomes the best version of itself? And so that manifests itself in creating a, what the IRS terms as a 501c3 supporting organization of NVCA, which is a 501c6. So we're both nonprofits, but big difference between a C6 and a C3. And so we created a C3. We raised money to get it off the ground. We publicly launched in 2020, so it's not that old. And in that now, we house a lot of programs that are designed specifically to change the makeup of the venture industry. We want to change its demographics 
and we want to change the geographics. I'm not sure that's a word, but I like it because it rhymes with demographics. <laughs> we want to make sure that people of color, underrepresented groups, women, and people in places like my home state of Arkansas can become a venture capitalist because we know there are entrepreneurs scattered all across the country. And we know that there are women entrepreneurs and there are people of color entrepreneurs, but it's more likely that if the check writer looks and lives near them, looks like and lives near them, then those people are going to be supported to take a chance. So that's what we would like to see. We've got a number of programs at Venture Forward. Uh, v VC University is an online cohort we created with our friends at the Berkeley Startup Law Center, and it's we've just launched our 11th cohort. And just to give you an idea, in cohort 11, which now means that we've had over 2000 people take this uh, VC University online curriculum. In cohort 11, we have 17 different states represented, 90% people of color, 58% female or non-binary, 15% LGBTQ+. And then you have about half on the general track and half on life science track. So I love hearing those statistics. Yeah. And I love the fact that we're trying to democratize access to information and education about being a venture investor. If you grew up in Arkansas, when I did, you didn't hear the words <laughs> venture capital at all. And, and so to try to, you know, bring this sort of education to more people, that's super important. We also do things like LP office hours where people who are trying to raise a fund can get a little feedback. It's not a pitch session, but feedback from real LPs and real GPs that have said on both sides of the table that these emerging managers are getting ready to go sit at and get advice, get feedback on their thesis, get feedback on their pitch, get feedback on kind of what they want to do and how they want to do it. And they've uh, seemed to really gravitate towards that program. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that just yesterday, we launched the 2022 VC Human Capital Survey. As they always say, you can't improve what you don't measure. And years ago, we back in 2016, we started partnering with Deloitte. And this is what has become the definitive resource on what the actual demographics are in the venture industry. So we would encourage every single venture capital participant in the country to fill out this survey. Just one survey per firm takes a little bit of time, but this is the only way we're really going to know whether or not anything that's been going on is making a difference. I'm glad you mentioned all those things. I think one thing I want to go back to, because this is like kind of a fundamental thing is the LPGP relationship. If we're going to have more diverse check writers, we obviously, they're getting their money from somewhere, which is the LPs. And so that all filters down. What have you seen within that in terms of more resources or things to help GPs, especially emerging manager GPs, connect with LPs? Uh, anything on that you'd like to see improve in terms of legislation around that whole relationship and dynamic of starting funds? Because to me, I've seen a, a number of more emerging managers. We've interviewed some on the show here, uh, but I'm always looking to figure out like, okay, well, how do we get more, more LPs then or more LPs finding GPs in an easier way? Just anything you want to say around that? 
Well, I think some of our programs like this LP office hour program that we started, we've done about five in-person events over the last several years in different parts of the country. When COVID hit, we tried to figure out, okay, how do we take what we thought was a really good in-person event and put it online? And uh, we learned a lot and we've done some online sessions here and that's uh, been harder on a technical sense, but oh, yeah. that, but it still makes it easier for some people to participate that might not get on a plane and go to wherever we were going to do this. So, you know, you you there are pros and cons to both. I think this is an area that has really brought some awareness by LPs uh, over the types of people who are hungry to get in the industry, and I think that awareness is is a big step here right a lot of people have talked about how they want to see the industry change and now those participants in the industry actually have the opportunity to make that change and, yeah and and that's what you know i'm i'm hoping i don't expect us to have uh great numbers because i think this is going to take a lot longer than any of us want but i'm hoping this next iteration of the VC human capital survey will show that, look, we're making a little progress here. We need to make more over here because the last three that we've done, we've seen some incremental progress, just more in some areas than others. Yeah. It takes, it takes a lot, obviously a massive effort. I know we've talked to a number of diverse emerging managers. You're seeing kind of a little bit more of that, but ultimately it's like the time they need also to, for them to be able to have those returns and show progress. So then they can get their bigger funds and all of that also takes time. So it's like, even if you see someone now who raised the funds, like, okay, fund one, then fund two, like this all takes time to get to that next step, which I think it will. It just slower than anyone would want to, <laughs> but, but, but it makes sense in one, yeah. one respect. And that is because our industry is a slow industry. Oh, meaning for sure. For sure. You, you're working with an entrepreneur. It's going to take seven or eight years to know whether or not that is going to be a success or not. You raise a fund. It's typically a 10 year fund with automatic extensions to 15 yeah. partnerships and funds are these very long-term nature uh, beings so vastly different than other parts of the capital system. Right. And it, it's one of the things I'll just say that going back to when we talk about public policy with lawmakers here in Washington, our biggest challenge is that when we're talking about an issue, whether it be tax or regulation or something, the SEC expert agency, they always have in their mind a fact pattern around some massively large private equity or hedge fund or something like that. And they don't, when you say venture capital, they don't switch to this whole body of knowledge around the differences in a venture capital firm and one of those. And so they, they will say, like, we've had people on the Hill in positions on committees say, well, I don't understand why an entrepreneur would take venture capital. Why, why wouldn't they just go get a bank loan? And, and you're like, oh my gosh, and you are in charge of policies that impact these entrepreneurs and you have no idea how dumb the question you're asking. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, that that's what we're faced with. And so we're, you know, most, most members of Congress couldn't tell you the difference between obviously a hedge fund, private equity fund or venture fund, but they couldn't tell you the difference between a venture capital fund and an investment bank. They would just think it's, oh, that's Wall Street. That's money. That's capital. And, yeah. and that's what we're up against every single day here. 
and they're making decisions that impact so much. It seems like Bobby, based on that, we need to get more VCs on not even the check writer side, on the policy side to understand this and move things through. How do we do that? Like that seems like we're really hitting at that like, that question. Like, how do we get not to say they're incompetent, but in this capacity, they might be incompetent. Like, how do you get more competent people on the policy side? Then and that almost seems like the bigger question that you're kind of maybe I'm going around without on purpose doing that. Well, it, it's a it's a great question, and I wish that there were more people. I mean, Mark Warner, senator from Virginia, is a former venture capitalist, and you know there are little pockets here and there of people <laughs> yeah. that actually understand it. And our job is to go help educate more people to understand it. And you know, you sort of think like, well, okay, once you educate them, aren't you done? answer is no, because they leave, they get beat. Somebody else comes in, they forget, you know, they, you have one meeting with them and you think they get it. And then the next hundred meetings that come into their office have nothing to do with venture capital. And so it's very hard for them to remember that meeting they had, you know, a hundred meetings ago. (laughs) That's very, very true. (laughs) It's almost like, yeah, also at the SEC, like to that point, I gave more people at SEC specifically to understand this issue, but obviously things move slow. So we would like to, but with that, like, just take a step back here. You've been here nine years with NBCA. You've done a lot with them. What kind of progress have you seen in that time period? I don't want to be all doom and gloom. What have we seen in terms of things that have moved forward, things that are already available to people that may, may not even know about? Because you've been here for a while, so I'm curious on what you've already seen because there are things that have happened. We've made some progress, right? In the last nine years, like, what's going on? Well, I started this by talking about the legislation that's just passed in the last two years. And I think that if if... 10 years from now, we're going to look back on last 20. And I think we're going to look at what has passed recently as some of the most seminal pieces of legislation that could have the most impact positively on our country, on entrepreneurship, on competition with other countries that we will have ever seen. So I am very optimistic about what the future looks like. These pieces of legislation were significant. Again, as long as they don't screw it up, <laughs> and our job will be to kind of be the cop on the beat and try to make sure they do it in the right way. But I think that's going to be significant. And that just happened in the last two years. But going back, there have been a lot of uh, issues and wins that we have had in my nine years here. There have been a lot of efforts to to go after the industry in different ways. A lot of people you know, talk about the taxation and, and carried interest and things like that. And we've had an, a number of times when they've looked at that. Once again, they look at it through the eyes and the fact pattern of some highly successful, very large private equity fund manager. They do not look at it through the lens of last year, median size venture fund was $45 million. Yeah. So they don't look at 45 million and smaller size funds whose only economic incentive is the carry. Yep. Not, not some big venture capital firm that's been successful and raises big funds, some tiny one, some emerging manager that's begging, begging a limited partner to be that anchor investor in their new fund. Yeah. And they are, doing everything they can to be a successful venture capitalist, knowing that they may not get to take a salary for years. 
and they've got to pay these other expenses. They've got to build a firm. They've got to do all this stuff with this small fund. Carrie is that only economic incentive. And now some people think, oh, we should just, you know, double the taxation on it because, <sighs> because of this one fact pattern that I saw that, you know, some, some guy in New York is going to get all this money and get this big tax. There are other ways to tax the rich. Yeah. Let's not screw up the venture capital model and let's not screw up the opportunity for more people to come into the venture space and support the entrepreneurs that are all across America. Yeah. It's like basing these laws for the all based on the few is crazy. I can't like, that just is such a struggle and uh, a frustration, obviously within the industry, because we're trying to make change all the time. I obviously talk to a lot of emerging managers all the time, talk to Gail, our our GP here at Vitalize all the time. We were also a small, smaller fund. And so we get all these insights and it's just frustrating what you see from that. But we've seen obviously some progress. I'm curious in your thoughts on with the Jobs Act, what that allowed, what you see the kind of evolution of that even moving forward with crowdfunding and other things, just your thoughts on that more broadly. Because we've we've definitely leveraged crowdfunding at Vitalize to be able to do an angel investing community where we, anyone can join because it's crowdfunding. So I'm curious on your thoughts though on that and what that kind of allows as well moving forward. We love the Jobs Act. We love the several ideas that have come since the Jobs Act passed. We need another Jobs Act. I yeah. think in terms of different uh, bills and legislation that's been considered, I think they talk about they talked about Jobs Act 2.0 and that didn't make it. And then they <laughs> talked about 3.0. I think we're at 4.0 or something else, even though none yeah. of those other versions became law. But that's what we need to be doing as a country. We need to be experimenting. We need to be understanding how important it is for companies to grow, how important it is for crowdfunding and other things to experiment with. Let's see what it takes to get more people engaged in this industry and to benefit from this industry. And that, that goes always, but you have to, you have to think differently than just imagining wall street investment banks, you know, huge private equity firms, stuff like that. And that's, that's why I think the genius behind the jobs act was Let's try some things. Let's try yeah. to have a better on-ramp to the public markets. Some things did work. Some people have taken advantage of the test the waters and other stuff. So we solved yeah. some of the problems we had before the Jobs Act, but that didn't mean all the problems went away. So now we need to identify more. We need to identify other areas that we should be asking Congress's help to make changes, try new things, and keep improving. Yeah, and ultimately you know, as we have more and more entrepreneurs get funding, it's only going to help this country. Like that's like, that's the whole point, right? Like, like more people from diverse backgrounds are building companies then. It's like the ultimate win-win, right? I mean, like there's, this is, I, I'll go back to carried interest just for this point. I often yeah. say to policymakers, tell me of any other place that you can think of in government and incentives and tax policy, you name it, where, there's only a benefit if everybody wins, the investor, the limited partner, the entrepreneur, the taxpayer, the new jobs, the new, I mean, it's like you just created a product or service. You created something out of whole cloth yeah. and now everybody has benefited. If they don't and it's not successful, there is no carry. So it's like the only thing that I can think of where it, is perfect alignment with everyone, investor, entrepreneur, taxpayer, you name it. Yeah, it is the perfect alignment, which is 
mind-blowing why there's not more being done and that there obviously there's always it's always more complex than that in some ways there's different things on both sides i get that but one thing i want to kind of end with here in the last couple of minutes is just any other you know industry trends you're excited about moving forward because we talked about a lot of different things already i know and there's a lot of uh, great things that i'm glad we mentioned but is there anything else that in terms of industry trends that you are excited about bobby well i mean i'm excited about what our industry can do around climate yeah. And, and there's, you know, the big push and the bill that I mentioned is going to go a long way towards that. I'm excited about what I hope and believe are significant changes in the demographics of our industry so that we can support the diversity of entrepreneurs that are out there. I'm excited about entrepreneurs being allowed to tackle the biggest challenges I mean, you, you look at the pandemic and you think, you know, Zoom, you think of yeah. Moderna, you think of a lot of venture-backed companies that may or may not have existed without the help of the venture capital world that enables dreamers to take a chance and build something of significant value. And, and I'm not talking about value for the investor as much as I'm talking about value for the user value for the country, value for the world, value for humanity. And I get excited when I hear about entrepreneurs and companies that are solving some of the most challenging problems or creating some of the most unique services or products out there. I mean, that that's, it's fun to be around. It's, <laughs> it's addicting. Absolutely. As we wrap up here, just any other, any ask of the audience, so whether it be founders, whether it be uh, investors, any ask of them uh, from you, I want to give you the chance to also kind of uh, ask if you want, but any ask for the audience as they're kind of wrap things up here. I, I would just ask that to the extent you can, I know everybody is busy building companies and supporting entrepreneurs and things like that, but to the extent you can, please pay attention to what policymakers are doing. Um, we've been successful here at NVCA, but we can only be successful to the extent we have the entire community with us. We are a tiny industry, if you think of it in that regard, yeah. compared to every other industry that's competing for policymakers' time and attention. And so we need people to understand the consequences of what Washington does or sometimes doesn't do and, and to engage with us. I think we need the help of everybody to be able to educate those policymakers over just how unique this crown jewel is of a system that was created, was invented, created, and has grown here in the United States that allows capital to be formed to support the craziest of ideas that go on to deliver amazing value to the end user and to all the participants. I mean, one thing just about jobs, we talk about often, you can look at studies, Kauffman Foundation and others, all net new job creation comes from young high growth companies. I mean, just recently you read a headline a day about some large company that has let go a bunch of, bunch of folks. Over time, the largest companies expand and contract, but they stay about neutral as a, as a group. Same thing with mom and pops. Small businesses that always intend to be a small business start and small businesses fail. 
but all the net new job creation comes from young high growth companies. And that's where the dynamism is in our economy. And it's mostly supported by venture capital. Bobby, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. Justin, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizevc, or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.